Hey folks, Brian here. I want to thank each and every one of you who has been listening to Confessions of an Arcade Addict, and I want to ask that if you haven't done so already, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to it. That helps other people find the podcast. I do have other things coming up, uh, various trips to arcades around the area, and things of that nature, and of course I'm going to try and go back to Chicago in 2022, and with your help, I can actually do it. So please, like, rate, review, and subscribe, and if you're able to, and you're inclined to do so, please contribute to the podcast in any way that you can. Uh, The easiest way is to go to anchor.fm slash coaa slash donate. I think that's the link. So if you could help me out, I would much appreciate it. And that keeps me motivated to keep this podcast rolling past 100 episodes. I do have plans to do that. So let's see what we can do later. episode number 49 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, not too much going on since I recorded and released episode 48. Um, my first day back at the arcade in Brighton uh, was New Year's Day. Um, I w- the weather was absolutely uh, horrendous. Uh, we had a snowstorm coming in and um if i wasn't so tired i would have gone straight to the arcade from my home care but i needed to come home and rest for like two hours uh before i set off to go up to uh the arcade and that wasn't exactly a mistake but you know i probably should have just done that um yeah the snowstorm was really bad but when i got to the arcade it was absolutely packed i should have known better because uh It was New Year's Day and, you know, everything with everything else going on and, you know, there were a lot of kids there, a lot of adults there. I mean, it was pretty close to standing room only at one point. They had one birthday party and just a lot of people in the arcade and they ended up staying until probably about, I'd say probably 830. You know, I think the last person who came in the arcade was like somewhere around 830 or so. Um, and, you know, everything turned out, it was a really good day business-wise for the arcade, and, you know, I'm looking forward to next Saturday. Uh, let's see, gaming-wise, at home, still playing Battletech, um, playing Battletech, playing, uh, Streets of Rage 4, playing Nova Drift, playing New World, um, 
eh, just the usual thing. Not too much different going on. Uh, I did get a new uh, mouse uh, for gaming purposes. And I'm hoping this turns out to be uh, a lot better for gaming. Although I'm getting having to get used to it because this, um, this mouse is a lot different than the Logitech that I've been using for, oh goodness, what at least 10 or 15 years um you know it's basically from a, a japanese uh uh manufacturer called elecom and this thing has gotten like eight buttons and you know it's just getting used to it and whatnot it's a lot more sensitive than my logitech ever was i can say that um so we'll see how it works for gaming with games like new world and stuff like that um you know aside from that you know just working and the usual things uh today was terrible at work because it, it was bitterly cold with really strong winds and that's not the best of time to be outside i can tell you that but i figured i delayed long enough so it's time to get behind the mic and record an episode so here i am so here we go uh let's see i do have an uh another an email this time from uh mike stewart and he says, Hey Brian, uh, I heard your comments on my voicemail in episode 47, so I went and caught up on episode 40, which I somehow missed. Uh, good review, overview on the game of Gorf, uh, and I'd never caught the reverse word of frog in the name before. I gotta say though, Space Warp was the hardest one for me to play back in the day. That starburst of vector lines really screwed up my targeting of the ship, so I rarely made it to the flagship. From the description, was the flagship kind of like the mothership in Phoenix, or am I misremembering? Like I said, I almost never made it to the flagship, so I could be thinking of another game. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to the Dragon's Lair and Battlezone shows. Mike. Thanks for your email, Mike, once again. Keep them coming, please. Um, let's see. It was kind of, sort of, like Phoenix, but it was a little different. Uh, with the mothership in Gorf... Um, there's like one little sliver that's like one or two pixels wide that you can actually one shot it because that little, that little opening leads directly to the reactor core in the middle of the ship. Um, if you hit the ship in any other spot, a little piece of it would fly off and you can actually line up that piece and shoot it for 200 points. You know, that was a way to sort of point press if you were shooting the mothership. Um, when I was watching a video of that, uh, fellow in England who more or less set a world record on Gorf while he's talking about the game and, you know, breaking down, you know, how you get through, you know, each of the five stages in the, you know, easiest way possible, um, you know, he would go directly for just destroying the mothership. Um, shooting the mothership was a thousand points, and then you started over with the Space Invaders one, except the invaders would would start lower, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I mean, I pl actually, I'm trying to remember, last time I played Gorf was at uh, Crazy Quarters Arcade on my birthday, December 5, and... Uh, you know, I just played it. I had, I did okay. I didn't do great. I think I got to like Space Colonel or something like that. You know, I wasn't quite to Space Avenger or Space Warrior, unfortunately. But you know, I did okay. 
Um, so yeah, th thanks for your email, Mike, and I hope I answered your question. And like Mike, you can also email the show if you've got questions, you have a game you want me to give the Are You Experienced and or the uh, Time for Some Strategy Treatment. Um, just you know, get a hold of me, any sort of comments, anything you think that can make the show better, hey, I'm willing to listen. Just get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, you can uh, send a voicemail to the show, like Mike usually does, but he decided to throw me a curveball this time. Um, the number is 734-743-2433. Also, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Facebook, all you have to do is uh, put uh, Confessions of an Arcade Addict in the search bar. It'll take you right to the page. There, uh, uh, there is a discussion group that goes along with that. Which reminds me, mental note, uh, send another question to the group. Uh, the last two, well, last two questions, I got really good participation, which made me happy. Um, the first question I asked was, uh, what's your favorite game and why? And, you know, what's your least favorite game and why? I got a lot more responses for the least favorite game question, which is interesting. Um, so, yeah, you can do that. You can do that. And... Like I said, uh, any sort of participation is welcomed. Questions about games, question about uh, episodes, or um, just in in say in just a introducing yourself kind of thing, which also works. I should have done that now that I think about it. Um, well, it's a little late, but maybe I'll do it anyway. But anyhow, um, on uh, Instagram, I am at Arcade Addict Brian. Uh, I do check Instagram and Facebook the most. I will say that. I do check Tumblr and Twitter every so often, but there's not a lot of uh, uh, participation there. I don't get very many uh, questions from either one of those uh, avenues. So, you know, Instagram and Facebook are the easiest ways to get a hold of me aside from emailing and or calling the show directly. On uh, Twitter, my handle is arcadeaddict underscore B. And Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict. So once again, multiple ways of getting hold of the show. And like Mike, if you have a question or you want a game covered and given the full treatment, hey, just hey, just ask the question and more, more than likely I'll grant it. So anyway, this is part three of the Chicago trip. So let's get right on to it. Story time. Bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time, day two. Galloping Ghost, Logan Arcade, Emporium Barcade, Replay Barcade, and then back to my hotel for the night. Uh, let's see. When I woke up Saturday morning, I knew that I had a lot on my plate, but I was determined not to rush. Uh, I had plenty of time, and arcades that are new to me are something to be savored. You know, I'm in my 50s now, and even though I still have that 12-year-old inside me that, that wants to run from machine to machine and play until my arms fall off, I'm able to calm that side of me down to savor the experience. Not to mention that I had to keep my eyes and ears open in order to glean information for the podcast. 
So I took my time getting ready, and I left my hotel about 11.30 or 12. Um, I did play the On the Road segment for you guys in the previous episode. So um, for those who don't know, just go back to episode 48, and you'll get my uh, thoughts in the moment uh, from when I left my hotel to go down to Galloping Ghost, and when I left my hotel uh, that evening to go to um, Logan Arcade, and then go to Emporium, and then go to Replay. And then I think I wrapped it up with uh, a few thoughts when I left uh, Replay and I was heading back to my hotel. So, when I got to Galloping Ghost, I was having a little difficulty keeping that inner 12-year-old in line. I'm not going to lie about it. Uh, When I parked and got out of my car and walked to the entrance, I had to take a little time to center myself. And it was perhaps here that I realized that my expectations were a little higher than they should have been. But I went in there, paid my entry fee, and started playing games. After about an hour and a half, I left the main arcade and made the trek over to the Pinwall Arcade, spent another hour and a half there, then went back to the main arcade, and was there for another two hours or so before I left to go back to my my hotel, because I'd run out of energy. (laughs) And that's the truth. That's the downside of being an arcade junkie in your 50s. You only have a finite amount of energy. Um... After I woke up from my nap around 7.30 at night, I went over to Chili's, had dinner, then I got onto I-94 and headed eastbound towards uh, Logan Arcade. Uh, I spent some time there. I already did an arcade uh, rundown of the place. Um, I moved on to Emporium, spent maybe an hour there before finishing the night off at uh, Replay Barcade. I was definitely tired when I got back to my hotel room and I recorded my thoughts before and after I left these places, which you've probably heard by now. I had quite a bit of fun on Saturday, and I was looking forward to what I could get into on Sunday. (laughs) And you'll hear about that in episode 50. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get there, folks. Okay, Um, that is story time for uh, day two. So now I'm going to turn right around and go right into Arcade Rundown. Morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Replay Barcade, Lincoln Park, Illinois. Okay, after the post-quarantine chaos that was Emporium Barcade, I was looking for something a little quieter, I'll be honest about it. Um, Being a metalhead that got his start in the 80s, I wasn't a stranger to loud, intense sound, but Emporium was a little much for me. So I got out of there, and I made my way over to Replay. It wasn't that much quieter there, but I liked the vibe a lot better. This was much more like what I thought a Barcade should be, or would be on a Saturday night. Uh, There were plenty of people milling about, and the place had a good selection of games. There was one set of monitors that was playing classic professional wrestling. If I'm not mistaken, the Royal Rumble uh, from 1990. Um, And another set of monitors was playing uh, some anime series I couldn't quite place. I had a decent time, that's for sure. 
Um, there was another bar in the back, and after playing some machines and milling about for a while, I decided to check it out before I left, and boy, was I glad that I did. Uh, the second bar had a full-on Marvel theme to it. Uh, they had an X-Men pinball machine, which wasn't working, unfortunately, an X-Men vs. Street Fighter machine, which someone was playing, and they had two monitors that were playing Marvel cartoons. They also had a Black Panther statue sitting on a throne, and I simply could not resist walking over and giving it the Wakandan salute and wishing Chadwick Boseman to rest in peace. Uh, I think I stayed there for about an hour and a half, uh, that which was long enough for me to straighten on the Galaga machine and just hang out before my body was telling me it was time to go back to my hotel, uh, get some sleep and recoup my energy and plan out what to do uh, on Sunday. And being a sensible pentagenarian, I did exactly that. Uh, so that's the rundown for uh, Replay Barcade. Uh, the arcade review is coming in episode 50. So uh, any questions, thoughts, you know what to do. Brian at gmail.com. All right, let's move on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying wet arse to my head or chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old. Okay, are you experienced? Pole position. <laughs> oh, this game. This is one of the all-time greatest driving games to ever have come out. And I'm not saying that just for hyperbole. I remember when it came out and how it turned the arcade scene on its ear. But before we get into my thoughts about it let's get into some information which of course is from wikipedia uh pole position is an arcade racing simulation video game that was released by namco in 1982 and licensed to atari inc for u.s manufacture and distribution running on the namco pole position arcade system board it is considered to be one of the most important titles from the golden age of arcade video games i can't lie. i can't disagree with that uh, pole Position was an evolution of Namco's earlier arcade racing electromechanical games, notably F1, which was made in 1976, whose designer Sho Osugi worked on the development of Pole Position. The game was a major commercial success in arcades. After becoming the highest-grossing arcade game of 1982 in Japan, it went on to become the most popular coin-operated arcade game internationally in 1983. In North America, it was the highest-grossing arcade game for two years in 1983 and 1984, and still one of the top five arcade video games of 1985. See, that is the benchmark for a game that is revolutionary, historic, and popular at the same time. Those three criteria together, if it's in the top ten... It, you know, if it's number one, that's one thing. If it's number one two years in a row, that's something else. If it's, you know, number one two years in a row and top five in the third year, that should tell you something for sure. Uh, to continue, 
It was the most successful racing game of the classic era, spawning ports, sequels, and a Saturday morning cartoon, although the cartoon had very little in common with the game. Yeah, I agree with that. I liked the cartoon well enough, but yeah, it didn't have a lot of uh, similarities with the arcade game aside from the name. Uh, the game established the conventions of the racing game genre, and its success inspired numerous imitators. Pole Position is regarded as one of the most influential video games of all time, and is considered to be the most influential racing game in particular. Its sequel, Pole Position 2, was released in 1983, which we will get to. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get to the gameplay. In this game, the player controls a Formula 1 race car and has to complete a time trial lap within a certain amount of time, which is between 57 and 120 seconds, in order to qualify for an F1 race at Fuji Racetrack. After qualifying, the player races against seven other CPU-controlled cars in a championship race, but if they do not qualify, the car will stay on track until the timer runs out. Uh, the player must also avoid going off the road so that they will not crash into billboards. Play continues until either time runs out and on any lap, or you complete four laps of the race, which ends the game. Pole Position was the first racing video game to feature a track based on a real racing circuit. It was also the first game to feature a qualifying lap, requiring the player to complete a time trial before they could compete in the Grand Prix. Uh, once the player is qualified, they must complete the race in the time allowed, avoiding collisions with CPU-controlled opponents and billboards along the sides of the track. The game's publisher, Atari, publicized the game for its, quote, unbelievable driving realism, end quote, in providing a Formula One experience behind a racing wheel. The game's graphics featured full-color landscapes with scaling sprites, including race cars and other signs, and a pseudo-3D third-person rear-perspective view of the track, with its vanishing point swaying from side to side as a player approaches corners, accurately simulating forward movement into the distance. While earlier three-dimensional arcade driving games emphasize staying on the road while avoiding crashes, Pole Position gives a higher reward for passing rival cars and finishing among the leaders. Pole Position was released in two configurations, a standard upright cabinet and an environmental cockpit cabinet. Both versions feature a steering wheel and a gear shifter for low and high gears, but the environmental cockpit cabinet featured both an accelerator and a brake pedal, while the standard upright only had an accelerator pedal. Okay, let's move on to the development. Pole Position was created both by Shinichiro Okamoto and Galaxian designer Kazunori Sawano. Namco electro-mechanical game engineer Sho Osugi also assisted with development. Based on Namco's experience with producing coin-operated electro-mechanical electro driving games in the 1970s, notably F1, which was released in 76 and designed by Sho Osugi, Sawano showed Okamoto rough sketches of his idea, who liked the idea and began production of a video racing game. Okamoto wanted the game to be a true driving simulation game that used a 3D perspective and allowed the player to execute real-world techniques. He also chose to add the Fuji Speedway into the game to make newer players recognize it when they first played. Music was jointly composed by Nobuyuki Onogi and Yoriko Kano. Development of the game lasted for three years. Three years, wow. <laughs> but then again, it kind of makes sense. Okamoto recalls the most challenging part of development being to produce the hardware needed to run it, as the game was, quote, too ambitious to run on older hardware. 
The development team used two 16-bit processors to power the game, which Okamoto says was an unheard-of concept for arcade games at the time. <laughs> That's interesting. For a while, it was the only video game to use a Z8000 CPU. Pac-Man creator Toru Iwatani chose the name Pole Position as he thought it sounded cool and appealing, and he shortly after filed a trademark for it. The controls also posed to be a challenge, as Okamoto wanted them to feel realistic and match up with the gameplay. Osugi remembers Namco president Masaya Nakamura become, becoming frustrated with them, having difficulty keeping the car moving in a straight line. The game's arcade cabinet, a sit-down environmental machine, was chosen due to their popularity at the time. The development team had long fights over how fast the gear shift should be until it was ultimately decided to simply either be high speed or low speed. <laughs> Interesting. Three years to make this. Wow, that's a, that's a long time in video game development. Okay, uh, to the release. Uh, Pole Position was officially released in Japan on September 16, 1982. It was licensed out to Atari Incorporated for release in North America, where it made its debut at the Chicago 1982 Amusement and Music Operators Association show, and held during November 18th to 20th, before receiving a mass-market North American release on November 30th, 1982, while Namco themselves released the game in Europe in late 1982. Uh, after its release, Osugi stated that all of Namco's older electromechanical driving games were discontinued as the company saw the future of arcade racers in the form of video games. Wise decision. <laughs> for the ports, uh, Atari released pole position for the Atari 8-bit family, Atari 2600, and Atari 5200. Ports for the Commodore 64, VIC-20... Texas Instruments TI-99-4A and ZX Spectrum were released under the Atari Soft label. Although the original used raster graphics, GCE published a version for the Vector Graphics Vectrex system. The DOS version was published by Thunder Mountain. Interesting. Uh, advertising. Uh, the game is an early example of product placement within a video game with, with billboards around the track advertising actual companies. However, some billboards were specific to the two versions, as such as those for Pepsi and Canon in the Namco version, and those of 7-Eleven, Dentine, Centipede, and Dig Dug in the Atari version, which replaced such billboards as those of Marlboro and Martinia Rossi, who, although they were prominent motorsports sponsors at the time, would be found inappropriate in the American market for a game aimed towards children. Other billboards appeared in both versions. The game was also featured in a TV commercial show only shown on MTV. It was a part of a series of TV spots that Atari created in the 1980s exclusively for MTV. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I do remember the commercials, though. Okay, the reception. In Japan, Game Machine listed Pole Position as the second highest grossing arcade game of 1982. Game Machine later listed it in their June 1st, 1983 issue as a second top-grossing upright arcade unit of the month before it returned to being the top-grossing game for, of the month in October 1983. Internationally, Pole Position was the most popular arcade game of, of 1983. In Europe, it was a top-grossing arcade game in the same year. In the United States, it sold over 21,000 arcade cabinets for an estimated $61 million, adjusted for inflation 
uh, that turns out to be 164 million uh, by 1983. Uh, in addition, U.S. coin drop earning averaged 9.5 million dollars per week, which turned out to be 450 dollars weekly per machine, which is good. <laughs> 450 dollars a week. You can pay off that if I got the prices right. I think a brand new pole position was like $3,000 at tops. So you could pay it off in like three months. And the gameplay was strong enough and people loved it enough. You could actually do it. Um, to continue, on the U.S. replay arcade charts, it topped the upright cabinet charts for seven months in 1983 from March through August and again in December. It also topped the U.S. Playmeter arcade charts for six consecutive months from March through August of 1983, and then topped the Street Locations chart in November 1983. It ended the year as the highest-grossing arcade game of 1983 in North America, according to Replay and the Amusement and Music Operators Association, and again became the highest-grossing arcade game of 1984 in the United States. Several years after its release, it was still one of the top five highest-grossing arcade games of 1985. That's what I'm saying. There are very few arcade video games that have that, had that kind of staying power. I can only think of, like, three or four off the top of my head, although there are probably more. But to continue... The console version topped the UK sales charts in late 1983. In the United States, between 1986 and 1990, the Atari 2600 version sold 578,281 units for $3,642,246. The Atari 5200 version sold 12,492 units for $62,601. And the Atari XE version sold 9,204 units for $106,014, adding up to 599,977 units sold and $3,810,861, which in 2020 money is equivalent to approximately $9 million, grossed between 1986 and 1990. Okay, reviews. Upon its North American debut at... AMOA 1982, it was reviewed by Video Games Magazine, which listed it amongst the show's top 10 games. They compared it favorably with Sega's Turbo, referring to pole position as Turbo Deluxe, and uh, Speedway, not a cross-country race. They also called pole position, quote, the ultimate test of driving skill for only the very best video game road stars, end quote. Electronic Games reviewed the arcade game in 1983, writing that it, quote, keeps the action on track from start to finish, quote, with challenging play, noting that the gameplay is, quote, reasonably faithful to real life, end quote, Formula One races. They also praised the sound effects and solid realistic graphics, stating that it has, quote, very rich color images, end quote, and, quote, dimensional depth to the graphics, end quote. They gave it the 1983 Arcade Award for Coin-Op Game of the Year, praising the racing gameplay, beautiful graphics, and breathtaking scenery, as well as, quote, the two-heat format for the race itself, end quote. Computer and Video Games reviewed the arcade game in 1983, writing that it is simply the most exhilarating driving simulation game on the market. They compared it favorably with Turbo, stating that while Turbo 
quote, featured better landscapes, quote, it, quote, can't match the speed, thrills, and skill behind the new, this new race game, end quote. They said that pole position's graphics are sophisticated and believable, knowing that the cars turning corners are shown in every graphic detail of the maneuver, and praised the gameplay, concluding that trying to hold a screaming curve or overtake offers thrills to compare with the real racetrack. It was considered the all-time best racing driving game by InfoWorld in 1983 and computer games in early 1985. So throughout that three-year stretch, they were getting awards and, and accolades almost the entire time. To continue, while reviewing the Atari 8-bit version, they called it by far the best road race game ever thrown onto a video screen with bright and brilliant graphics, but said the Commodore 64 version looks like a rush job and is far from arcade game quality. Computer Games Magazine criticized the Commodore conversions for lacking various features from the arcade original, giving the C64 version a mixed review and VIC-20 version a negative review. I can kind of understand that. I've played pole position on the Commodore 64. It is lacking. Um, Computer and Video Games reviewed the Atari 2600 version, stating that it is the best driving game available on the Atari VCS. I don't know about that. (laughs) I kind of disagree with that. But to continue... When reviewing the Atari 5200 version, high res in 1984 found the playability of the game to be limited and the graphics to be the strongest aspect of the game. Uh, the magazine preferred the Adventure International's Rally Speedway to both pole position and Epic's uh, Pit Stop. Wow, Pit Stop was a good game. <laughs> okay. Uh, in 2007, Eurogamer gave it a mixed retrospective review, calling it a simulation down to the core. Those de- dedicated uh, will eventually reap success, but most will be deterred by the difficulty. Entertainment Weekly called Pole Position one of the top 10 games for the Atari 2600 in 2003. And let's see, Impact. Pole Position is regarded as one of the most influential video games of all time. Uh, Bill Laguchi and Matt Barton listed it as one of the 25 most influential games of all time, calling it arguably the most important racing game ever made. In 1984, Electronic Games stated that for the first time in amusement parlors, a first-person racing game gives a higher reward for passing cars and finishing among the leaders rather than just keeping all four wheels on the road, thus make driving an art. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, In 2015, Pole Position topped IGN's list of the top 10 most influential racing games ever. They stated that it had a drastically better-looking third-person chase cam view than Turbo, was the first racing game based on a real-world racing circuit, introduced checkpoints, and was the first to require a qualifying lap, and that its success as the highest-grossing arcade game in North America in 1983 cemented the genre in place for decades to come and inspired a horde of other racing games. I agree with that. You know, I think... Monaco and GP and Turbo sort of started it, but yet Pole Position took that position and made it its own, that's for sure. Okay, Legacy. Pole Position was the most successful racing game of the classic era, spawning ports, sequels, and a Saturday morning cartoon. The game spawned a number of clones, such as Top Racer from Commodore International, which led to a lawsuit from Namco against Commodore Japan, that led to the seizure of Top Racer copies. Ooh, I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. Uh, re-releases. 
in the mid-1990s, Pole Position made a comeback on Windows PCs when it was included as part of Microsoft Return of Arcade and later appeared on the PlayStation, Nintendo 64, Dream, and Dreamcast systems in Namco Museum Volume 1. Since that time, Pole Position has been included in many subsequent Namco Museum releases. Fuji Speedway was renamed to Namco Speedway in the museum releases and the plug-and-play versions, except in Namco Museum Virtual Arcade, which renamed it to Blue Speedway, <laughs> and the 2004 Pac-Man, or excuse me, Ms. Pac-Man plug-and-play TV game released by Jack Pacific and developed by Hot Gen Studios, which changed the billboards to advertise for the four other featured games. I saw that, so yeah, that's interesting. Uh, a version of Pole Position was released for the iPod on January 21st, 2008. A modified version of Pole Position was released as an e Easter egg for certain Tesla vehicles in 2018, which changed the setting to the surface of Mars and the vehicles to Tesla vehicles. <laughs> yeah, that's typical. Okay, sequels. Uh, Pole Position 2 was released in 1983, and it featured three additional courses in addition to the original Fuji track. It featured slightly improved graphics, as well as a different color car scheme and opening theme. Several new billboards were also introduced. Uh, while many consider the three-screen Racer TX1 released in 1984 by Atari and designed by Tatsumi to be a sequel to Pole Position 2, the true sequel arrived in 1987 with release of Final Lap. I always thought that that was a sequel to Pole Position, but we'll get there, which may be considered an unofficial Pole Position 3. Final Lap would later spawn a racing RPG spinoff for the TurboGrafx-16 video game console called Final Lap Twin in 1989, as well as three directly related arcade sequels, Final Lap 2 in 1990, Final Lap 3 in 1992, and Final Lap R in 1993. A version of Pole Position was released for iOS devices called Pole Position Remix in September 14, 2008. The game features upgraded graphics and several different control methods, but remains similar in content to the original. The version of Pole Position also features the tracks from Pole Position 2 and a new track called Misaki Point. The game has since been removed from the App Store. Well, that's a pity. Uh, let's see, other things. Uh, Pole Position is played by the characters Daryl and Turtle in the movie uh, Daryl and is one of the first times in the film where Daryl, a seemingly normal boy who is actually an android, displays some of his superhuman abilities by earning an amazingly high score on the game. The game is also featured in the music video of the 1984 heavy metal song Free Will Burning by Judas Priest. And that's all the information in a nutshell, so to speak. Okay, my experiences with it. When this came out in 82, this, it turned the arcade world on its ear, and that's no hyperbole. This was another game that had what I call universal coverage. That means that there was a machine almost every arcade that I ever went to, and some even uh, mom-and-pop stores. Uh, let's see, Trouble Mall had it for a while. Uh, let's see, Spanky's had it. Uh, Milford Rec had it. I think uh, the... Uh, Connecticut Post Arcade had it. Um, Arnie's Place had it. Uh, the News Corner had it. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think Bolarama's Game Room had it. 
so yeah, it was literally everywhere. I mean, almost every one of the major arcade players in my area growing up had a pole position machine in 82 or 83. Uh, let's see. Everybody was playing it, although it was a little while before people started actually beating the game. It was a couple of years before I realized the game actually had an ending, and a few more years still before I started beating it myself. Um, I've watched YouTube videos of people trying to get the perfect score, or at least the closest to the perfect score. There's one person I watch, and his name is Daniel Gamets, and he's the best pole position player I've ever seen, though John from John's Arcade, YouTube fame, comes pretty close. Uh, go on YouTube and check these guys out. You won't regret it. Um, yeah, Daniel Gamets would, for a while, put out... Uh, regular pole position and pole position two videos i think the last pole position video he uh uploaded to youtube i think it was him uh breaking the world record so i think i think that's the person who actually owns it so yeah check those out okay that's pole position um i could do a time for some strategy for it but you know i'm remotely passable at the game, I don't think I could do it justice, so I'm not even going to try for this time. Uh, if you want me to do it, email me and I'll do my best. That's all I can, that's all the best I can say. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> most, of the, most of my advice would be keep the car on the track, don't crash in any cars, uh, watch out for that hairpin turn, um, and don't hit the and don't run over the water because it drops your speed <laughs> that's pretty much what i would say anyway um so let's get on to from here arcade review Chicago, Illinois. Okay, once again, a quick breakdown. Every arcade that I review is done so by five criteria. Location, selection, ambiance, functionality, value. Since I've been doing arcade reviews in multiple episodes, and I will continue to do so until I think like episode 52, um, I'm not going to go into the breakdown. Um, we'll just go right ahead with this. Uh, all these criteria are rated from 1 to 10, 1 being bad, 10 being good, with half points coming into play. You add up all the scores, average them out by 5, and you come up with a total score. So let's get right to it. Okay, location. I'll give it a 7. It could have been higher, but I'll explain it. Um, Logan Arcade is located on Fullerton Avenue, just west of Western Avenue. Uh, I-90 and I-94 uh, is only uh, two blocks away to the north, and the blue line train line is several blocks to the south. Um, at least on the Saturday night that I went there, parking was at a premium. Um, you basically had to park on the street, and it took me about 10 minutes of driving around the neighborhood to find a spot. 
also the location of the actual arcade is not that well marked on the outside of the building so if you don't know where you're going and you don't know what you're looking for it's really easy to miss the place like i said when uh i did the rundown and also when i recorded my vocal notes and i uploaded them in episode 48 i said that um i almost literally walked by the place um the neighborhood is that it has a nice feel to it you know i didn't feel like you know my head was on a swivel the whole time so that also helped uh let's see selection 7.5 uh logan's has a good mix of old and new pinball machines and arcade games and also these repurposed uh old school telephone booths that had uh, a super nintendo an atari 2600 a sega genesis and i believe a nintendo 64 in them so you could still play games even if you were you know if you were broke um logan's does tend to lean more towards pinball than video games but that's okay in my book i mean you know a good mix of machines uh the pinball machines ranged from I think the latest one they had at the time was the Mandalorian, because um, this was before Godzilla came out, and there was one other machine that j released just after I got back, if I'm not mistaken. But um, they range from the latest Stern offerings all the way back to like um, an Orbiter 1 machine, if I'm not mistaken, which is like what Orbiter One's like what 1979, 1980, 1981 somewhere in there. But yeah, so they had a good mix. I actually had an old classic machine too. I think that was the oldest one in the in the building. I think it was some machine from like the early to mid 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Shoot, I should have taken a video of you know video walkthrough of the place, but I didn't. Oh well. Um, Ambiance. I'll give that a straight up nine. Uh, the atmosphere of this place was great, despite some drunk guys cursing out the games that they were sucking at. And that's what it was. They were doing terrible because they were drunk, and they were getting mad at the machines. <laughs> it's like, rule number one of visiting arcades, don't blame the machine if you suck. <laughs> uh, to continue, uh, they had awesome pinball back glasses and video game art lining the walls, a large screen, video screen playing one movie, and several smaller screens playing another. The night I went there, they had Better Off Dead on the big screen and Dick Tracy on the small screens. Uh, the staff looked to be professional and about their business. Uh, there was 90s grunge playing from the PA, which was, in my opinion, an excellent choice. Functionality. I'll give it a 5.5. Uh, the games themselves were a little bit hit and miss when it came to, when it came to functionality. Some of the games worked very well, others were in real need of maintenance. Uh, the old school pinball machines I played were decent enough, although there was one machine that needed some serious TLC, even though it played pretty well. Uh, value, I'll give a 6.5. Uh, Logan runs on quarters, so average marks for that. They have a fully functioning bar, and they just opened or reopened, I can't remember which, a satellite kitchen serving vegan food. Now, vegan food isn't the choice I would make personally, but when I looked over their menu after I got back uh, home, uh, it showed that they also served hand-cut french fries and beer-battered onion rings, and that sounds pretty good to me. Um, it's just a shame that they weren't open the night I was there, because I probably would have had some. Okay, you 
add those all together, average it out by 5, and you come back with a total score of 7.1. Uh, I love this place, and that's no lie. There are plenty of video games to play and things to look at. The overall vibe is also great. Uh, I said when I recorded my vocal notes about this place that if I lived in this neighborhood, I would hit this place at least once a week. And I still feel that way a week after the experience at the time of this writing. And I wrote these, uh, wrote this review on uh, September 12th of, or excuse me, September 10th of 2021. Um, to continue, it's a good place to take a date, and several people did, from what I saw, or to just post up and have some drinks and food if you so desire. They've been in business since 2014, and it shows. They're doing it right. Uh, my only complaint is that some of the machines themselves need maintenance in a bad way, but aside from that, this place is excellent. I was thinking about going down there Sunday night after I went to the Underground Retrocade. Uh, so if I'm actually considering going back to a place I was at the night before, I think I like it. And that's my arcade review for Logan's. Um, if you live in the Chicago area and you have a similar or differing opinion of the place, hey, get a hold of me. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Alright, and finally we will get on the road. Um, this is September 5th. Um, this is my, these are my vocal notes uh, when I was going downtown on Sunday. Uh, and when I left downtown and when I decided to go to Underground Retrocade uh, after I went home back to my hotel room to take a nap. So, you know, sit back, relax and enjoy the stylings of somebody who is a stranger in a strange land. Catch you guys later. Brian here on the road once again and I'm leaving my hotel to go to the underground retrocade after I went downtown I was really tired so I decided to come back to my room and take a nap so I took a nap for a couple of hours and now I'm just leaving and heading up to Interstate 90. Okay, so yeah, I'm pretty much, this I think is gonna be the last place I go to. Um, pretty much my attempts to get a hold of Jack Danger or Doc Mac have failed, so I'm just going to probably end up chilling out for the rest of the day tomorrow. And then once I, once it's checkout time, it's checkout time's 3 p.m. So once I get that all squared away and straightened out, I'm just going to go home. <laughs> My son is... 
asking me pretty much multiple times a day when you know where I am and you know when am I coming home and I keep telling him I'll be home on Monday and you know he's his sense of time is just not quite there you know I mean full disclosure you know he's autistic so you know it's a little bit of a different challenge but anyhow either way um I've had, I've not had, but I've seen really positive reviews about the uh, Underground Retrocade, so I'm just going to check it out, and we'll see what it's all about, then I'll come back, I'm probably going to come back a little early, I'm probably going to leave about 9, 9.30, Cause I've got to get some, I got to figure out what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight. And then once I'm done there, then I'm coming, then I'm just going to sleep and I'm just going to chill out in my hotel until checkout time. Then I'm going to get on the road and come home. Uh, of course, if, you know, I hear from Doc Mac or Jack Danger, then I'll make arrangements to go to where they are. Doc will be, Doc I know is, unless they've, unless they're, uh, unless they're, uh, I think they're doing, like, uh, catch-up videos about various games, but if they're doing new games, Doc will be there. So, if that's the case, then I'll just go down there and I'll, you know, jump on them directly and say, hey, you know, you want to do the interview or not? I mean, all it is just for a little podcast that not very many people know about. So if you're amenable, then we can do this. If not, I'm just going to, you know, get in my car and go home because you know, I'm pretty much, oops, easy there, dude, um, I'm pretty much done, (laughs) oh, man, um, but either way, I mean, I still want to hang out at Jack Danger's, uh, pinball location, I don't know what he's doing, I've, I've, uh, DM'd him on Instagram, on Facebook, you know, everywhere that he can get a, you know, be gotten a hold of, he might be just be out of town. That's entirely possible. So, either way, I'm just not going to worry about it right now. You know, if, you know, if it's meant to be, then it'll happen. If not, then it's not meant to be. And I could just, you know, say I had fun. You know, everything's cool. I was able to, you know, do something that I've been wanting to do for several years, and I'm okay with it. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, Chicago, this is an interesting area. Of course, it's a major city. I think it's like, what, number five? Either number four or number five metropolis, maybe even number three behind 
LA and New York City. But, you know, it's pretty cool. You know, I, something that I just saw when I was driving into the city today, you know, to check out um, the uh, Retrocade, not the Retrocade, what is it called? To check out the, uh, oh, what was it called? Oh, the Game Space, which wasn't what was quite advertised. There's a lot less there than what should have been or what could have been. I mean, basically, it's like just a, like a loft or an apartment. Not, you know, it's basically like a, a two-story office space. You know, a two-story office space. It had two Pac-Man machines on the ground floor, two Space Invaders machines. And up on the second floor, there was an NBA Jam machine. Um, what else? A, uh, an NBA Jam machine and two Mortal Kombat 2 machines. And, uh, computers. Uh, one was running, like, a, I think it was running a, a walkthrough of King's Quest V. And it had a, um... Uh, a mini Super Nintendo, which was running F-Zero at the time, and um, a Sega, uh, actually a, a, a PlayStation Mini, which was running Final Fantasy VII, you know, and stuff like that, and had, like, uh, pictures and historic, you know, uh, descriptions of what was, you know, of the games themselves, which was actually, it's kind of a cool concept, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, just not exactly what I was looking for, that's for sure, um, so yeah, I mean, so, you know, it was five bucks getting the place, I'm like, yeah, I understand he needs something, you know, the proprietor needs something to keep the place running and to keep the lights on and all that kind of stuff. I get it. And then... And then, um... And I just was there for maybe like 15 minutes. I played a game of NBA Jam just, to, just for the hell of it. And then from there... Then from there, I got out of there, got in my car, and went to, um, where did I go? Then I went to Emporium, which was basically downtown, you know, um, I think on the east side of downtown, as a matter of fact, I'm certain it was the east side of downtown. Just being, just being downtown, and, you know, amongst all the buildings and skyscrapers and all that kind of stuff that was fun that was cool you know the uh the city kid inside me was very happy for that you know it was really cool so from there i was hungry so i went down to um you know the marketplace i forgot what the place is called 
Um, but basically it's like a bunch of uh, restaurants that are in the city or in the in the actual area and um, you know they have like you know they have their uh, they have setups there you know where you can buy their food I went to um, what was it called what soul and spice I think it was called or something like that and I had some pulled pork um, with uh, some apple coleslaw on the side which was actually pretty decent I mean, if there was a criticism I have of the food is that they shouldn't salt the pork so much before cooking it or, you know, while cooking it, you know, it shouldn't be salted that much because once you got past the sauce, then the salt that was in the meat was really, really evident. But I mean, aside from that, it was, wasn't, wasn't a bad place. And then I walked around for a little bit and then I got in my car you know, parking downtown is exorbitant, 16 bucks, you know, and I couldn't find a spot, you know, on the street or in um, parking areas. I mean, everybody, a lot of people were downtown that day. So, you know, I kind of expected that. Um, and then, then I got out of there I tried to go to, um, oh, what was the place called? Um, there's another place I wanted to go to, which was, but that was like right smack downtown. And I'd already gotten gouged by the parking. I wasn't gonna pay another 16 bucks. So I just called it, I just basically called it and got out of there. Uh, westbound traffic on 90 was, you know, really kind of tough getting out of, getting out of town, you know, and then while I'm on my way, my body's like, hey, hey, you need to, you ba you need, you need to sleep, you need a nap. Oh, look, there's a guitar center. <laughs> I wonder how many left-handed, uh, instruments they have in that place, maybe, what, three? <laughs> Over, under is three. Um, so yeah, I just went, so I just came back to my hotel, had a snack and laid down and took a nap for two hours. Um, I would have gotten on the road a little earlier, but I got caught up in an episode of Mission Impossible. And the half the reason was that it was an episode from 1970, so Leonard Nimoy is in the cast, and um, and then I was seeing people, like there was a young Herbert Jefferson Jr. in, in the episode, and there was somebody else that I recognized immediately, but I can't remember who. I've, right now, I've got a pretty... I won't say it's a really bad headache, but it's, it's bad enough to where I can't remember things. Um, yeah, don't sweat it. I'm good. You know, I'm always good to drive as long as I haven't been drinking. And God only knows. I've talked to somebody about this, uh, uh, about four or five days ago. I haven't had anything alcoholic to drink in almost nine years. 
you know, actually probably about almost eight. Yeah, it was about eight because uh, it was just before, I mean, it was just before um, Marcus's mother and I went to uh, St. Louis to go get, go get uh, her mother. And the night we got home uh, was the night that Marcus was conceived. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty much it. So, eight, yeah, so it's been about eight years. Uh, what, the summer of 2013, I think? Yeah, about summer 2013. But, yeah, so... My overall thoughts on Chicago, I mean, I love it. You know, I don't know if I could actually live out here, you know, because it's pretty expensive. I'd have to live way out in the suburbs to even have a chance at making it work. But I mean, hey, you know, it's a major city. I've, this is the only major city I've been to in the last, what? Five years? Six years? Maybe longer? Actually, yeah, definitely longer because, yeah, I'd say 10 years now, maybe even 11. Because the last time I was in Chicago, um, and, you know, and I was actually staying out here was when I was doing test driving. You know, and I would drive through Chicago and I would. Um, yeah, I'd drive through Chicago and I would, you know, stay and actually, I'd actually stay in Milwaukee. That was back when I was doing test driving for, um, uh, a particular company and they would have me take vehicles from Michigan to, um, Bemidji, Minnesota, which is way up north. You know, that's like the northern part of the state. I think Bemidji is like, I think the, I can't remember what the name of the, oh, Duluth, that's right. Duluth is like the north, northernmost city in Minnesota, if I have my uh, geography correct. But Bemidji is this, you know, little town, you know, way up there. It's only like, I think like, what, 30 miles south of International Falls, which is only like the, that's like just before uh, the Canadian border. It's like probably one of the coldest, if not the coldest place in the United States on average. So, um, yeah, so I would drive a vehicle up there, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where they, and the, my job would give me a per diem and also pay for my hotels, you know, so basically on my way up, I would drive all the way to, um, like, uh, the Dells in uh, Wisconsin before, you know, stay there the night and then get on the road and then go up to, uh, go up to Bemidji. Um, of course, the time of year was, you know, de pretty much determined all that because, you know, time of year determined that because, um, in the wintertime, hello, Okay, got somebody in a Camaro going up I-90 doing probably over 100. 
just blew right by me. I'm doing 70, the speed limit's 60. He blew by me like I was standing still. But anyway, so, so I would be in Bemidji, I drop the car off, you know, I go to the uh, comfort, comfort Inn, that was, you know, my, uh, not Comfort Inn, Comfort Suites, and that was my place of choice when I was in Bemidji, because the beds were comfortable, the rooms were, you know, spacious, you know, and, you know, it was really cool. I mean, there were a couple times I went up there in the middle of a blizzard, and yeah, <laughs> not fun. I mean, the curtain, the windows were heavily curtained. I remember that because, you know, the winds were like 40 plus miles an hour, maybe even 50, you know, and it's already freezing cold and the wind chill is probably below zero, way below zero at that point. So basically I had just enough time to get my butt inside the hotel from where I parked. So I would stay overnight and then if they had a vehicle then I would drive it back down and when I would drive back down I would either stay in Milwaukee or Chicago depending on how tired I was when I got down there because it's a good what five hours maybe six driving down from Bemidji to Milwaukee and then you know Milwaukee's only a, like half an hour south of uh or excuse me half an hour north of Chicago so so I would drive through Chicago all the time and every, I think once I actually stayed in Chicago you know just doing that run um but yeah I mean I've always been a big fan of safety that's right and the other time I was in Chicago was when I was dating uh dating someone and we spent um, St. Patrick's Day weekend in Chicago. Oh my God, that was a mistake. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't so bad where we were, but we went downtown and the wind's coming off Lake Michigan. Woo! I mean, you might as well be standing there naked, you know, and just poured a bucket of ice water over you because, you know, the winds would whip through your clothing like they weren't even there. So... But yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, we stayed in the area. You know, we didn't go anywhere really special. The only place we went was a casino, the casino, which is right across the state line. You know, and we drove through the south side of Chicago, you know, uh, to get there. That was an adventure because, you know, I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I know bad sides of town when I see them. And just like when I was driving down to Galloping Ghost on Saturday, I drove right through the hood, you know, because I didn't want to take the highway down there. So I just, you know, took uh, regular, regular streets to get there. And yeah, I drove right through the hood. Immediately my antenna went up and I started looking around me. I mean, of course, it's like 12 o'clock noon on Saturday, Saturday. And... You know, I mean, nothing, I don't think anything really bad's going to happen. This is, that wasn't the south side. If it, was, if it was the south side of Chicago, then I would really have been, you know, on, you know, high alert. But, you know, when I go drive, when I go driving through the hood, because I used to live in the hood, <laughs> you know, and, you know, once you've lived in the hood for a certain amount of time, you know, your 
you know, it's like you just are on the lookout for certain things and certain people in certain situations. So, you know, so yeah, I drove down through the hood to go to Galloping Ghost. You know, it was no big deal. It was a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, no big deal at all. So, yeah, so that was the other time I actually stayed in uh, Chicago, which was, which was cool. You know, it was cool. We went downtown on, what was it, Sunday? I, no, not Sunday, because we left on Sunday. No, it was Saturday. Went downtown on Saturday, and yeah, I mean, it was mid-March, and it wasn't springtime yet. <laughs> oh my god oh my god oh my god the wind was oh my god the wind was terrible you know and we were we were and of course we live in Michigan which is not that much better so you know it was whoops I chose the wrong lane whoops sorry okay and we take a right here off the exit. And we got to wait for the light to change. And so, you know, we, you know, so yeah, I mean, we went downtown. We went to the Sears Tower. I mean, stupid me, I wasn't dressed for winter. I mean, I, I had a regular fall jacket with a uh, hoodie underneath it which is like my typical like late winter early spring uh attire and it wasn't <laughs> oh my god it was so bad you know i was i was i was just not i could not have been happier when we got on the l to go back out to out towards where our hotel was because that we parked at a station we got on the L and we got and we went to Chicago that way you know which is like the proper way to do it if you're you know if you're a tourist more or less so you know so yeah I mean it was fun you know I mean I enjoyed myself this weekend you know, I mean, today was, you know, kind of a bust, although we'll find out if Underground Retrocade can, you know, salvage it. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, this, this, this you know, that this trip today was pretty much a bust. You know, the game space wasn't what I thought it was. You know, they were clever with their pictures uh, you know, with, with their, uh, Google pictures, they were really clever with them, you know, it, the space was nowhere near what I thought it was, and then, you know, uh, when I went to Emporium downtown, it was kind of meh, I mean, it's pretty much the same, it was a bar with arcade games in it, I mean, it's not, it wasn't like a serious barcade, a serious barcade's got at least 20, 20 to 30 machines in it, if not more, you know, I'm more looking forward to going to the barcade in Detroit that just opened up. Okay, so it's three miles down the road on the left. Okay, cool. Um, I'm looking forward to that. 
then there's um, an, uh, another pinball space downtown Detroit. I'm looking forward to that. I'm probably going to have to space these out over the next couple of weeks because I'm going to have to take a Sunday and, you know, go down there and go over there, I should say. You know, I'm not going to do them both at the same time. I'm going to space them out. <laughs> I have to have something to talk to you guys about, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, now all that's left is to see what happens on Monday and to, you know, and if, you know, like I said, if nothing's going on, um, you know, if nothing's going on, um, on Monday, you know, and, you know, if I can't get a hold of Jack Danger or Doc Mac, you know, I'm just gonna just get on the road and go home because, you know, apparently my son's driving his mother crazy, <laughs> you know, because I'm not around, you know, and I've been gone for three days, and yeah, he's, he's actually been taking his mother's phone <laughs> and texting me, you know, and asking me when I'm going to be home, and actually, he's getting pretty good at texting, I mean, I'm, you know, I can, I fully understand exactly what he's asking me. It's kind of funny, you know. So, uh, anyway, I'm gonna call it here. I'm about a mile and a half from the Underground Retrocade, and I'll do another on the road on the way back to my hotel because it takes about half an hour to get there from here. You know, from here. So, okay, you guys. Um, part, let's see, what, what part am I on anymore? I can't even remember. I think I'm on part six. So part seven's coming up after I leave the underground retro cave and I'll give you my thoughts. Um, of course, you know, I'll, first thing I have to do is give my, uh, is give the, uh, arcade review notes so that I have stuff to get, you know, base, base off of when I, you know, actually start typing this stuff out, because that's what I'm going to be doing over the next several days after I get home, is taking the vocal notes and putting them, you know, and saving them on my hard drive and, you know, typing them out and making, making it sound pretty so that, you know, it sounds more or less like, you know, I'm talking off the top of my head when actually I'm reading notes that I've already typed up. So, all right. So, you know, that's pretty much my adventures for this, you know, for today. And, you know, you know, just things just didn't pan out very well. So, you know, we'll just have to see if, like I said, Underground Retrocade can, you know, save the day like Mighty Mouse. So anyway, uh, you guys have fun out there. Stay safe. Good gaming. Au revoir. Two hours later. Hey folks, Brian here once again, and this is, I think, part seven of my Chicago trip and the on-the-road segments for it. So, I just, I left the Underground Retrocade about 20 minutes ago. Um... And I'm glad I made the trip out there. I mean, after 
today being somewhat of a bust when I went back downtown to go to the Chicago Game Space and the uh, Emporium and then being unable to find um, High Point. You know, I felt like today was kind of a bust, but the Underground Retrograde saved it. <laughs> I mean, I should have known the place is going to be awesome because of the, not the review, but basically somebody did a run-through of the Underground Retrocade on um, YouTube. Uh, somebody I follow whose name I cannot remember for the life of me, but basically he goes to uh, arcades and you know all over the place, and he, you know, just does like a little, you know, video showing, you know, what, you know, showing, you know, what's in there and all this other stuff, and that's pretty much it. So, I should have known it would have been great, but I was feeling a little let down after my foibles in downtown Chicago today, you know, which is kind of funny considering that, you know, it could have certainly been worse, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad. <laughs> I ain't mad, as Chris, Chris Smooth likes to say, but you know, it's just one of those things, you know. So yeah, I went out there, you know, it's in a little, you know, little suburb town of West Dundee. It's about, I want to say told about 45 minutes from Chicago itself and you know it was a small town had that small town vibe you know the second I arrived there and I got out of the car and I'm you know just walking over to um, the retrocade but yeah it was nice and you know I go in there and you know I pay my 15 bucks and, you know, I just go and start playing games. I mean, they had a really nice arrangement of games. Um, and not only that, you know, they get extra points for me because they actually had an environmental cabinet Monaco GP, the original, from 1979? No, yeah, 79. And it worked. It worked actually pretty well, you know. I was really, really impressed. And then on top of that, as if that wasn't cool enough, right next to it they had an environmental turbo, which I hadn't seen since uh, I went to go stay with my aunt for a month in the summer of 1982. So yeah, I was I was pumped to see those and to play those. I got the top score on both machines, too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I was, that made me happy because, yeah, I wasn't feeling all that great uh, today. Oh, that is a top golf. Of course, there'd be a top golf in Chicago. Of course, there would be. Why wouldn't there be? Um, so. Yeah, I was, you know, so, yeah, and not only that, not just that, but wait, there's more. They had an Atari football, 
which I haven't seen since what Spanky's in 1983 or 19 yeah about 1983 maybe 84 when they got uh, when they got them and then I, they had actually had an Atari baseball which I had not seen literally since that thing came out in I think 77 I mean that's just awesome that was just great I mean fantastic loved it um so you know I that was money and time well spent for sure without a doubt you know I mean I was very 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 pleased with that with that place I mean there were I mean the machines weren't in perfect working order I mean most of them worked and worked well but you know there were little niggling things like uh, the time pilot the fire button would you know the fire button wasn't exactly up to snuff I mean it worked and it worked decently it worked good enough for me to get the get the you know top score on that machine but you know, it wasn't working like a time pilot should. The, like the one that uh, is at the arcade in Brighton. That thing works perfectly. But um, aside from that, um, the Robotron, uh, the directional controls weren't working. I abandoned a game because all of a sudden I'm pushing up and rather hard on the control stick to control the robot and he's not moving up and at that point I'm just threw my hands up and just walked away from the machine um, it's, a, it's a small place but that doesn't stop it from having what including the pinball machines well over 50 games which is pretty which is a pretty good size for that small of a small of a building. I mean, of course, you know, I guess my perspective is a little skewed after going to Galloping Ghost, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was very, very pleased with it. You know, like I said, you know, the game, some of the games weren't perfect, some of the games weren't working at all, some their monitors need recapping because they're, they're just terrible. I mean, the Vanguard was barely playable. You know, the Vanguard game was very playable. And they had uh, our arcade uh, high score lists. And I could have put myself up on them, but I'm just like, nah. Nah, I'm just not about the ego anymore. I mean, if you talked to me, say, maybe even, even maybe 10 years ago, I would have been like, it would have gone like, hey, put my high score up on that. I'm third place in this list. I put my high score up on that. I'm first on this list. You know, things like that. But I didn't do that because I was just more along the lines of after writing a uh, story time, which is coming up, you know, and I realized that as a kid, you know, just to sort of preview it a little bit, as a kid, between being poor, being addicted, and also wanting to be good at video games, you know, it kind of skewed my enjoyment of the actual game, you know? 
I mean, like I, I've said it throughout this podcast, I'm always in competition with my, with my friend Mark. I always was, you know, because he just was that much better than me. And he was that much better than most of the guys I knew who were arcade regulars. The only other person who was probably better than him was Andy Cable, but that's just how it was, you know, and... Andy Cable's not one of my favorite human beings because something he did to me a long time ago. You know, I thought, he, I don't, let's just put it this way, I thought he was cool until he did a certain thing and then, yeah, he wasn't cool anymore. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, they had some games I haven't seen in the flesh in a long, long time. Um, just like, um, galloping ghost does and I think that's pretty I think it's really really cool that these games you know that you know these this place has certain games you know I mean of course every game in that place galloping ghost has of course that goes without saying pretty much but you know I just think it's a much better setting it's sort of like a cross between uh, the arcade in Brighton where I work and like um, Logan Arcade pretty much without the bar. You know, it's a smaller place. You know, it's a little more intimate, you know, but it works. I mean, the atmosphere is great. You know, once I started getting, once I started playing games after, you know, I picked up my jaw off the floor after seeing that, you know, they have a, uh, they had an environmental Monaco GP that worked. I was, you know, I was just, I was just over the moon about that. But once I kind of got over it, yeah, it was like, you know, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I love this. This is great. This is absolutely fan. This is absolutely fantastic. I couldn't be happier. So, yeah, I played. I played a lot of games. You know, I played a lot of pinball. Not a lot of pinball. I played like seven or eight games of pinball. You know, but oh man, that reminds me. <laughs> Talk about chasing the dragon. I was. Do- that's what was going on when I was at Galloping Ghost on Saturday when I went over to the pinball arcade because they had a Space Invaders machine that worked perfectly, you know, and I hadn't played Space Invaders in a long, long, long time, you know, and, you know, that, and it was pretty cool to just, you know, hit the shots, you know, and then I find out the high scorers like only like 700,000 or something, something like that. And the first game I played, I scored over 600,000. Then I started chasing my tail and I just couldn't, I just couldn't get back to that point, you know, because now all of a sudden, and this is what I'm talking about that, you know, when I'm actually trying to do something with a game, you know, with the, with the exception of straight nighting a Gallica machine. That, that's 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 the that's the uh, that's the uh, exception to the rule because you know I can straighten out a Caliga machine in my sleep you know 
and that's what I did at uh, replay on Saturday night. So yeah, I mean, but when I'm trying to actually accomplish something and I start putting pressure on myself, yeah, that's when things, that's when things start to really get um, frustrating. You know, because all of a sudden now I'm trying and I'm not doing it and I'm trying harder and I'm still not doing it. And yeah, it get and then all of a sudden, you know, all the enjoyment goes out the window. And that's something that I have to really watch out for when I'm playing video games. <sighs> oh, excuse me. I'm a little bit tired, but I'm almost back to my hotel. Um, so yeah, I mean, I loved the Underground Retrocade. Absolutely loved it. I mean, if I was going to rate all of the places I visited, and I probably will end up doing it just because, you know, just because of my overall experience with it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Logan Arcade and underground retrocade are going to be one and one a i'd have to think about it i think it, i don't even know if i can actually put the rate them one and two i think they're going to have to be tied at number one because they both gave a uh gave a uh, different experience you know because of the things that they had i mean Underground Retrograde had more games, but Logan Arcade had a bar and had a really cool setup. And also they had these little like side booths with the Atari and with the Atari and the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. And I think the Nintendo 64, I think that was the other one that was in there. And it was like all four of those are you know, and that, that is a, that, like I said, when I reviewed it, that's just a great touch. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's pretty dang cool. You know, that place is really, really, really cool. I like Underground Retrocade a lot and I liked uh, Logan a lot. I can see why Jack Danger was hanging out there like once a week. I think probably because now that they now that he and his wife have two kids, I don't think he's able to get out anywhere near as much as he used to. But you know, it is what it is. I mean, I understand it. I mean, this is probably going to be my last great excursion for at least a year, you know, a year and a half maybe. You know, and I'm thinking I might just come out here again, maybe in a year's time or so. I just might. I just might. But anyway, I'm almost, I just got off the highway. I'm literally like two minutes away from my hotel. So I'm going to call it here. Once again, you guys have fun out there. Good gaming. Stay safe. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com 
or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then. Thank you.